Good morning, church. Indeed, it's so great to come together again and read and learn. And I'm really thankful for this opportunity to be with you and to be recording this message for you. Um, thank you for faithfully joining in ele electronically. I think it's sometimes actually harder to do um, church in your lounge room because your bed is so much closer um, and the temptation is closer. Anyway, I do remember being in church with you all and I really long for the day where that happens again. And I feel like it's really close. So let's hold on, hey? We'll be together again soon. And I did, I've been picturing the last time I spoke in church and looking out at your beautiful faces and seeing your encouraging smiles and um, hearing you laugh at my jokes and faux pas. Um, so I'm picturing that now and feel like you're with me. God has reminded me how great it is that we are a church family that are so for one another and that we could do anything when we're for one another in the way that Christ is for us. It's a little slice of heaven. So today we're reading and thinking about Hebrews 8. Um, and if you've been with us for the last couple of months, you'll know that Hebrews is a letter to the Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem. It's been called a masterpiece of theology, even though I think some people would like to stick the pages together on some parts of Hebrews and never look at it again. It is ch beautifully challenging. Um, I think it reminds us to think about the truths of Jesus so that we will have confidence and not lose our faith. It reminds us that we can know and trust God. Today, we're going to try and glean a few more of those truths in chapter 8. Um, and if I had to put a title over this chapter, I'd call it Up Close and Personal, The God That We Can Know. So before we get into it, I just want to pray. Um, so I ask that you close your eyes now and think um, about speaking to Jesus. Lord, as we gather, we know that you are with us. Lord, we quiet ourselves before you and ask that you teach us. We ask that your presence be with everyone in this community today. Speak to us. Show us where our lives need renewing. Reinforce in our minds who you are and how to understand you and grow in love for you. We thank you for your word. Amen. Hebrews chapter 8. Um, the high priest of a better covenant. So I've taken this reading from the New English Translation. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that the Lord, not man, set up. For every priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So this one too had to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. The place where they serve is a sketch and shadow of the heavenly sanctuary, just as Moses was warned by God as he was about to complete the tabernacle. For he says, see that you make everything according to the design shown to you on the mountain. But now Jesus has obtained a superior ministry. Since the covenant that he mediates is also better and is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, no one would have looked for a second one. But showing its fault, God says to them, 
Look, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will complete a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant and I had no regard for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will establish with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put laws, my laws in their minds and I will inscribe them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And there will be no need at all for each one to teach his countrymen or for each one to teach his brother saying, Know the Lord, since they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their evil deeds and their sins I will remember no longer. When he speaks of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. Now what is growing obsolete and aging is about to disappear. Okay, I think the passage today is slightly easier than the last few chapters, but it has a real richness about it as it tries to explain to the Hebrews where they stand in their faith now that Jesus has come and what he has for those of us who believe. In my readings in preparing my talk, I came across a writer named Dick Lucas, who says to understand the book of Hebrews, you need to imagine a conversation between a Roman and his Christian neighbor in the first century. Remembering that the Romans allowed anyone and everyone to have a religion and to set up a temple. They thought it was good for people helped them to stay organized and happy, yet they persecuted Christians and called them atheists. So the conversation will go a little bit like this. The Roman to his Christian neighbor, oh, so you have a new religion. That's very interesting. Where is your temple? Christian, no temple. Jesus is our temple. Roman, oh, so where do your priests operate out of? No priests. Jesus is our priest. Where do you do sacrifices? Where do you do your offerings? Where do you do the things so God will accept you? Jesus is our sacrifice and we are already accepted. What kind of religion is this? And the answer is it's not a religion. Christianity doesn't bring you a new religion. It brings you a person, Jesus. This letter to the Hebrews was written to encourage them at a time when they were being persecuted for accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They may well have been considering going back to the old ways of the law, their religious ways that seemed easier to manage, less oppositional perhaps. Does that sound a bit like us? Are the ways of our world seem a bit easier sometimes? Does faith in Jesus get difficult to keep going with when life gets hard and oppositional? See, I think the writer thought that it was vitally important to the faith of these Hebrew Christians for them to understand clearly the radical changes that Jesus' death and resurrection brought to their lives, how deeply blessed they are by the new covenant, how different it was, and how far short the old one fell of God's desire for his people and for us. By the old covenant, we mean the law and its, all its requirements, all the tabernacle building standards, and the separation of people from inner courts and outer courts and um, sacrifices and the, all the atonement of sin. That was the law given to Israel through Moses. In chapter 8 the, um, of Hebrews, the writer 
says, See, with, with Jesus, we not only have a new high priest that is more compassionate and better than all the previous high priests put together, but we also have a new covenant that comes with better promises and that abolish the old covenant. So in the very first line of chapter 8, it says, The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of God. And in saying that Jesus is seated at the right hand, he's reminding us that Jesus is royalty, that he's a co-regent with God. He is king. Never before has this been seen and happened. A priest who is also a king. So why is that important? Well, while we don't have Romans beating down our doors and calling us atheists, we do have other religions in the world, other things to believe in, other things to distract us, take out, to spend our time on, skeptics that call in to question our faith, our belief in God, the very existence of God. Sometimes those skeptics are within us. So we also need to understand how radically different Jesus was and is and to keep reminding ourselves of that so we do not lose faith. So if Christianity brings us a person, Jesus, not a new religion, how is he different? So to borrow some thinking from Timothy Keller, he says that most religions have two things in common. Number one, there is this ultimate reality, this superior power in all religions that is above and beyond all things, that isn't a reasonable explanation and it isn't science. Um, and the second thing is that there is some gap between us and that ultimate reality that we can't, that needs to be bridged. A barrier, if you like, some way in which we are not connected to this ultimate reality in the way that we should be. From there, the religions vary widely on how to bridge that gap or how that um, get over that barrier. Um, and get to the ultimate reality. Some say it's in sacrifices and burnt offerings. Um, it's, some say it's in doing good works and leading. Some say rituals and incantations, prayer, meditation. Some even say that the ultimate reality is within us and that all we need to do is learn how to tap into it. But what Jesus says is that I am king, sitting at the right hand of God. And in Hebrews 1, it says he is the exact He's, he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Jesus is our ultimate reality on the other side of the gap. The one that all the teachers and the prophets have pointed to coming. See, under the old covenant, Israel did not remain faithful. So God turned his face away from them. But now through Jesus' life, death and resurrection, in verse 12, he says, I will remember their sins no more. Forgiveness of sins forever, a new covenant. No more repeated sacrifices and crazy separations of people in the temple. Jesus has dealt with our sins once and for all. He has made our way over the gap to God. God, our ultimate reality. That's why we see verses like in Colossians 1, 21 to 22. Once you were alienated from God, but now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him. You must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. 
And I'm going to say again, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. You are holy and blameless in his sight. Now, this is a big shift for in thinking, especially for the Hebrews. No temple, no practices, no sacrifices. What kind of religion is this? It's not a religion. It's Jesus. It's God. You see, beliefs of the world say, do this, experience this, see this, and you will get to your ultimate reality. You will bridge the way to get to God. But John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. The gospel says, at unfathomable cost through Jesus Christ, God has accepted you. Now live like this. Entirely different totally radical. And there's just two more ways the new covenant is radically different that I think um, that the writer is trying to draw out in this passage. And the first one is in verse 10, where it says, I will put my laws on their minds and write them on their hearts. And then the new English translation, it says, I will inscribe them on their hearts. So God in that he promises us that he will teach us his ways that we will know them from within ourselves. What we can look forward to as we grow with God is that he transforms us through his Holy Spirit, his spirit intermingled with ours. So his desires, his good and his perfect desires become our desires. And the second thing is this. God says that we will have a personal relationship with him. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will, there will be no need for one to teach a countryman or each one to teach his brother saying, know the Lord, since they will all know me. When I think about this, I get so encouraged. A God that loves me enough to send his son to bridge the gap for me. A gap I couldn't close myself. And now there's nothing that I or the Hebrews could do or have done to earn God's favour and acceptance. We have it through Jesus Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. God moved heaven and earth because he wanted to be back in relationship with us. He knows us already, he made us, but he wants us to know him. The possibilities are endless. A God that is for me and you and says, come, let's walk this path together. And as we walk, I get to know him and by his spirit, I'm transformed. Who wouldn't want to know that God? And then I think of all the times that I doubt, that I get distracted, that I question whether I really hear from God or whether he's really at work in this world when I see it. Does God really want good for me? And I struggle with the same things over and over again. And then my God, who promises us that he speaks, he whispers to me and says, I'll take you wherever you are. I'm your bridge over the gap. This year, I've been doing um, the School of Kingdom Ministry course, Sockham, at our church. And I did it mainly because I want to hear from God a bit more than I have, um, to have his perspective on my life There's been years when I've felt God's voice loud and clear and I've asked him about everything and talked to him. But lately it's been a bit dull and I found it harder to hear, even when I'm reading the Bible. 
In the course, we're being taught to listen to, God, to what God's saying, to fumble around and to play with it, um, but to have confidence because it's in our identity as children of God to hear from, his, from our Father. So to keep trying, keep believing, keep challenging those long-held concepts of religion. So in the spirit of hearing from the Lord, I was asking him, what is it that you want to finally say about Hebrews 8? What is it that you want your people to take away? And the a verse from Hebrews 8 is what came to me. And that's this, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So that's it from God, straight out of his word. You can know him. He wants to know you and he loves you.